Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex. This week, we're doing the second part of our interview with James Ellis. First part was amazing. The second part is even greater. So do listen in. James Ellis, part two. Thank you. Obviously, this is a little bit of a loaded question. There's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on in the U.S. Um, what? Specifically. I hadn't noticed. You hadn't noticed at all? Um, so... With everything going on, employment brand is more important than it ever has. And But I, I take a step back and I, I'm trying to figure out, like, with everything going on in the world, how we're approaching employment brand, um, is it going to change for now? And when a year, when everything's normal or semi-normal as it could be, are people going to get back to their habits when it comes to employment brand? And what, what I'm specifically talking about is um, like diversity and inclusion. Like this is, there's a big push and it sh- this should always yes. been a push. Like it's yeah. critical to any organization, but also looking at uh, companies during COVID, like what have you done to your employees? Are em- candidates going to forget about that a year from now? No. Our yeah. employer is going to forget about it. Is this Maybe. here to stay? <laughs> There's a, that, that's a lot of questions and that, that's worth unpacking. So I think yeah. there are a couple of pieces to do with. Start, first off, the pendulum has absolutely swung in this weird direction we didn't expect, right? COVID made it so accelerated. All these changes have been bubbling under the surface for a very long time. Working from home, flexible work conditions, uh, all this stuff, this ex- expectations of what work should be. We have been complaining and being told, no, you can't have that. But suddenly, oh, you've got to go home. So do it. You made it happen. And so that begets all this other change. The question is, will the, how far will the pendulum swing back? Now, I'm already seeing from a macroeconomic trends, people are saying things on Twitter who I'm connected to, hey, does anybody want to sublease my space? Which to me says, yeah, we're not going back to where we were. It's not going to not go back. It's just going to be somewhere in the middle. So it's going to be a different world where expectations around working from home, virtual recruiting, virtual interviews, all that stuff is going to be real. Uh, a friend of mine who will remain nameless was interviewing with a company in Wisconsin, a state I normally think positively about. Uh, she said, yeah, they wanted me to show up to the interview and bring paper resumes. I said, what year is it over there? I think the, you know, Wisconsin had, had kind of gone along with the rest of the country to come to the 21st century, but in this case, not so much. Uh, but the question really is, how do you manage an employer brand when think about all the things that expect? what an employer brand is. All the all the, the germs of the employer brand, how do they come together to form the brand? A lot of it has to do with physical proximity. You sit in an office. How much office space do you get? How much cubicle space do you get? Or you're in one of those bench things and you get six feet of bare bench and that's what you live with. Um, how easy it is to ask your boss a question. How easy it is for four people in that bullpen area to say, I got a question. Who's got a, can someone help me? That experience frames so much of what your employer brand is, right? And when that's gone, what does your employer brand come from? So if the seeds are changing, does the plant change? And it does a little bit, but ultimately what people want out of that employer brand is, just give me a sense of what it's like. The messaging is going to change. The channels are going to change. Let's be fair. There's not going to be a career fair this year, uh, you know, on campus or, you know, or even non-campus career fairs. It's going to be virtual. Okay. What does that look like? How do you express what you're saying? Now that you've got the ability to put your entire employer brand in this tiny little hole on my phone or my computer, how do I, how, how can I 
keep it from looking like I'm manipulating or controlling it purely for me? How do I say, no, this is the unvarnished truth. Here's more of the straight dope. What's going on? Here's how it works. And so employer branders are going to have to work a little harder. They won't be able to say, mm-hmm. well, look, I just have to get you, give you enough to get you in the office to do the interview because then once you look around, you'll figure it out because there's no more office and there's no more walking right. around and looking around anymore. So how do you feed them this information to make them feel good about the choice you want them to make? And that in itself is a whole long conversation. A couple of other things I want to kind of point out. Now, I get access through my day job over at university to a lot of data, and that's data from both candidates and data from companies who think about employer brand. Every, you know, so we're releasing what's called employer brand now, EV now 2020, and we asked 1,100 uh, talent leaders around the world, are you hiring more? Are you hiring less? And how are you seeing your investment in employer brand, the importance of employer brand? Now, what's interesting is while hiring has kind of fluctuated, in some places it's gotten a lot harder. Pharma is getting really strong. Healthcare is getting super, super strong. A couple pockets of places that hiring is going great guns, and there are pockets where it's not going great guns. Retail, energy, having some issues. But at the same time, they say things like, well, employer brand is no longer as important to us. But then they tell us, but it has to be about employee engagement. It has to be about retention. It has to be about the cost of talent. And it has to be about all these things that we know our employer brand. It's just that the label for employer brand is starting to get pulled off and employer brand itself is integrating itself more deeply into the entire company. Now, I have a friend of mine who works as the employer brand head of a regional grocery store out in Florida. You probably figure out what it is if you're in Florida. I'm not gonna name names, but hey, Jasmine. Um, and she said, look, for a long time, you know, the employer brand team, which was her, couldn't get you know a seat at the table. Couldn't get emails returned. It was just like kind of being on the outside looking in. You got your face pressed up against the glass, saying, "Please, everybody, I can help." And as soon as COVID hit, everybody in marketing is knocking on our door, saying, "Hey, can you help us? How can I help you? Can we add some more?" We have you know, because let's be fair. Once COVID hit, marketing had to say, "What's the good of putting out an ad about coupons? What's the good about the feature set? What's good of all the standard marketing stuff?" doesn't fly anymore. And so what did you see? You saw CEOs come in and say, I care about my company. I care about my people. Did they talk about their growth of their company? No. Did they talk about the amazing products coming out? No. We're taking care of people. And thus, employer brand became very obviously a part of the larger corporate brand. It wasn't just consumer brand running the show and then here, way over here in Hawaii, there's employer brand. No, it was very much a wow. Turns out the voice of the people caring about your people supports the corporate brand, to which I go, duh. And you say, look, great. What you need to do is integrate them so there's not a consumer brand, an investment brand, a market brand, an employer brand, but simply a brand. And what happens is, is once you understand what this company is, and that's what a brand is, and you look at it through the lens of what does a candidate want, what does an employee want, that's called employer brand, but it's really just brand. It's just brand yeah. to a particular audience. The same for customers, and the same for the marketplace, and the same for investors. And what's happening is slowly, not as fast as our change to moving working from home, but we're starting to realize that there needs to be a brand team, that there is a concept of a brand, and you look at it to different audiences, and that's how you leverage it. It's For the last couple of years, you've seen when companies get into trouble, CEO says something super racist, you get rid of the CEO, and then what do you do? You wheel in the people who make the product. What happens when that bank makes too many fake accounts? Well, let's talk about something that isn't features, but let's talk about the tellers. Here's the tellers. We're wonderful people, and we would never do anything like that. Please come bank with us again. 
employer brand has been quietly the go-to PR crisis move for years, but we never really labeled it as such. And now right. as the biggest crisis in the world is hit, it's really integrated. Now there's one more point you made I want to unpack. And by the way, I told you it was complicated and that's DNI because I think, mm-hmm. yes, it is, it is semi-random that COVID and the DNI question and all the stuff that we're talking about happened at roughly the same time. But at the same time, it's valuable. It's nice to know because what happens is as we are getting good at understanding, this is a brand and I'm talking it to this direction to talk to candidates. That means we're learning to segment our audience. That's a term we should all learn by now. When we talk about segmenting our audience, we usually do it in nice big chunks. This is what customers want. This is what employees want. This is what candidates want. You can go deeper and you can say, this is what black candidates want. And this is my message to black candidates. And this is my message to women I want to join my leadership team. And this is my message to Asians who I think should be a part of my sales team. And this is my message to, 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 to LGBTQ, veterans, uh, disabled people, white men. It doesn't matter. We're all, you know, complicated, messy issues. But if you have a monolithic employer brand and you push it out into the world, and by the way, it was chances are it was written by a white person, whether it was a dude or a woman, let's be fair, that's impartial at the moment. Chances are it's going to attract more white people just simply because that's what it is. You know, there's the, the, the um, makeup company, makeup company salespeople, Sephora. I don't know if you have them, can I? I think you have them. Yeah, we do. Amazing company. 70% of their development staff is women. Now, in most companies, if you can have 10% women in your development staff, you're, you're checking all sorts of DNI boxes and they have 70, not 17, 70. Mm. And people say, well, well, yeah, it's because it's a company about lipstick. I'm like, yeah, because developers are that stupid, right? That makes sense. Oh, I like the color pink. I want to work there. No, what it is, it's a company for women, about women, filled with women who talk to women about things women care about. And guess who gets attracted to those jobs? I don't know. It might be women. So if you talk to an audience about the stuff they care about, they come back to you. And if you can start to segment your messages to black audiences, and in Canada's case, you know, you've got an Aboriginal Native, Native, Native yeah. Canadian, how, what's, the phrase, what's the proper phrase there? Because I was about to say Native, and that was wrong. Aboriginals. Aboriginals. Okay, just checking. I don't know. But you, know, you, want to, you want to attract more Aboriginals? You speak in their terms. You speak in their language. You understand what motivates them to look for a job, and you trigger those messages to them. Thus, brand becomes a very complicated issue. How do you get all these messy, complicated messages to find congruence, to be not 7,000 messages to 7,000 audiences, but one message spoken 7,000 ways so that when one audience talks to another, they go, yeah, that sounds like it's not the same words, but it's the same idea. And that's why we want to work there. Mm-hmm. So I think you answered the, the thing I was wondering about too, and that is, you know, it, it really did take a crisis. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when we, uh, and you just so beautifully explained how, you know, typically, especially in the big, big companies, a brand is owned by the chief marketing officer and their team. Yep. Um, and they, um, and I, I mean, I can't count how many times, you know, I go to the comms team or the marketing team and they see me as a threat. Yeah. Or dilettante. You're just, you're just a recruiter who likes to play at marketing, right? Yes. You, you read a book. Yes, like how could you possibly understand this, right? Right. And, right. and so, you know, it is interesting that, um, that it did take a crisis for, for marketing to come around and go, well, maybe there's a little something to it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for smaller companies, um, smaller companies, like I'm talking like there's some gems um, out there, even at the 250 people or say, you know, just, just to, to 
call it a number, a thousand employees or less, right? Mm -hmm. So who should own it? You know, usually they may or may not at a thousand people, they may not have a chief marketing officer, certainly have somebody in sales, right? Certainly, certainly. Um, And let's be fair, sales and marketing are very different things, by the way. Oh, you know (laughs) what? Different Thank brains. you for saying that because I have always said when I see companies saying that they need a VP of sales and marketing, that they're looking for a bipolar individual. Schizophrenic, absolutely. Yeah. Because you cannot be both. You, yeah. you just can't. Yeah. It's different sides of the brain. Yeah. Anyways. Well, you, you could say you could you. say the same of a leader of HR and talent acquisition. They're two completely yeah, different. So, yeah, you're right. Oh, and yeah. I, and, and I've long kind of- do both, yeah. Yeah, and I've long kind of beat the drum that talent acquisition should not report in HR. Talent acquisition should be a completely wholly different entity reporting straight to the CEO. But Did you get that search? Did you hear that? Well, I, I've been beating the same drum for a long time. Oh, so my God. So, so let's yes. let's dig in a little bit deeper. What's yes. what's your reasoning behind it for this for that for, for TA not not being part yeah. of HR? Well, yeah. the, the I, I have a couple of different reasons, but my favorite <laughs> is HR exists for one simple purpose: to not get sued. Simple as that. It's the reason they you know it's the reason to try you know and that my French is fantastic by the way you can tell. Um, it's the reason for being. It's the only reason they're there. No one goes. You know what I want? I want some really boring people to tell me what not to do. Can they just? Tag around my office all day. That sounds like a lot of fun. No one says that. What they say is, oh my God, I just hired a hundred perfect strangers. I hope they don't set this place on fire and get me sued. Get me some HR people to make sure that doesn't happen. So consequently, HR is a brain designed around the concept of rules, creating rules, managing rules, implementing rules, enforcing rules, 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 rules. In the same way that developers don't get into coding because they love to hang out with people. In the same way that marketers don't get into marketing because they love math. People get into HR because they love rules. Now, talent acquisition has nothing to do with rules. It shouldn't. It should, it's about building relationships. And if I have to apply relationships and rules in the same sentence, I'm writing a really bad book. It's really all I'm saying is right. There's, that's going to be a, a, a crap book. The concept of building relationships sometimes means standing out. It sometimes means offering an individual perspective. It's about having a conversation. And there's nothing about rules that should have anything to do with each other. So the, just the mindsets do not fit at all. It all stems, you know, for a long time ago is simply that, okay, if we're going to fi- keep these people from getting sued, let's bring in people to find more people who won't get us sued, right? It's, it's, it, there was some sort of uh, historical connection to that, but it makes no sense anymore. It's really about if you value people, and again, thank you, Tom Peters, what else is there? If you get it, if you understand that there is no business without people, that people are the, the, the roots of your business and recruiters are the ones watering those trees. They're the ones bringing the fertilizer, making it work. What has that has to do with rules? That's not what this is about. It's not about defensive. It's about go get them, go find them, get people excited, get people engaged. I have a friend of mine over a video game company who says – the biggest part of her job is every week they hire a new kind of cohort of people who get hired and legal shows up and tells them and scares the bejesus out of them. But all the 17,000 ways are going to get fired for saying this, for doing that, for forgetting to do a thing. It's just fired, 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 fired. It's like they're bringing the, the brimstone of legal back on these brand new green hires who are so flipping thrilled to be working in a video game company that they've dreamed of forever. And here comes lawyers squishing them like a dead bug. And she walks in behind him and says, all of that is true, and here's what we want you to talk about, and here are the things that it's okay to talk about. Yes, that was the fear of God, and here's what's really going on. Here's how you engage. 
they're so different. They have to be different. And so that, that's, where my, that's where my thinking is. Well, it's, and I did a whole disruptive HR speech about exactly that subject in a room full of HR people. Oh, I, I bet they, they love agreed. that. They love that. Yeah, I don't know if it, 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 I don't know how well it went over, but I think the oh, subject. Oh, I think it was, it was a huge. Yeah, like, how do you know when HR is just. <clears throat> HR yeah, exactly. recruiting. Yeah, how do you know when HR gets mad? Do they, do they riot very quietly and with paper and pen? They write very quietly. No, I'm writing you know, very quietly. I've never met an HR person who says they love recruiting. No, they just no. don't. It was actually a relief for somebody to stay up, stand up like Serge did in front of his peers, like 200 of his peers and say, we don't belong together. Mm-hmm. And like, let's be fair. HR is evolving in the same way that an employer brand is evolving. It's about understanding how to develop people, how to encourage people. Yeah. The, con- the very, I mean, I think there's so many fundamental shifts. It's strata upon strata upon strata of change. And I think the biggest one that we don't really talk about is the concept of a job itself is radically changing. Mm-hmm. If you, I mean, you know, most of the time when you hire someone, you're saying, here's a job description, do what's on the job description. And by the way, the little asterisk and other duties is assigned for the 4% of things we couldn't think of. Honestly, mm-hmm. if you hire someone right now, the, that job description should be simply to say, go make us some money, go make some value, create something. Yeah. We don't know what it is. You're the expert. If you're hiring a machine learning person or an AI person or an employer brand person, and you know more about their job than they do you're hiring a bad whatever that person is. You want people to come in with new skills and new perspectives that reinvent everything you think you know, which means not dictating to them what they think, how they should do it, why they should do it, when they should do it, what tools they should use. So my example is sales. If the job of sales is not to enter your time in the sales force, the job of sales is not to pick up the phone and call 47 times. The job of sales is not to send 437 emails. The job of sales is to make money happen. Now, if you can do that via webinars, you're a salesperson. If you can do that by making an app and pushing that app out and getting people excited about whatever you're selling, congratulations, you're a salesperson. But you're a developer, but you're a writer, you're a speaker, you're a whatever. Who cares? If working the phone is how you sell, good for you. If working the email is how you sell, good for you. If making an app is how you sell, good for you. But they're all so radically different. So consequently, the concept of a job is different. It's about outcome, not inputs. And when that happens, suddenly HR is all about how do I help you do your job? Not about how do I keep us from getting sued by treating you like a stranger I would never speak to in real life. So before we recorded this podcast, I was very curious if it was true that you did the whole podcast unedited straight up. I now see that is a (laughs) hundred percent so yeah. There's there's no doubt in my mind anymore. So there's something wrong with you. <laughs> James. Give the, the guy a microphone. Well, exactly. The points yes. that you put up today have been amazing. I, I think for our audience, you you've hit it right on the head. I, I love how you're thinking. Um, so you've got a couple of books. You've got a podcast. You've yep. got a full time yeah. job. Got all got the um, whole kit and caboodle. So for any of our listeners wanting to get a hold of you or where can they get their book? Obviously Amazon, but is there a preference? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's all Tell Amazon. The book is all Amazon based. If you just go in, I also have a copy. Mine's less marked up, but there's my copy. It's the pineapple book. That's how you know. There is no significance <laughs> of the pineapple. It's simply the pineapple. Um, here's the thing. I, I, you get the sense that I'm passionate about it. It's not passion because I want to be the smartest person in the room. I'm passionate about it because it's 
fascinating. And I want more people to be as fascinated about this stuff as I am. And so I write a newsletter every week called the employer brand headlines. Uh, it's free. It's just, here's other people's articles. I comment on them. Here's a good idea. This is, don't forget this. It's trying to connect dots. Mm-hmm. Employer branders are all brand new at what we do. There's nobody been doing this. If your name isn't Simon Burroughs, you haven't been doing this for very long. Mm-hmm. You're learning it as you go. I know I am, and I wrote two books on it. So if I can say that, feel free to say it. You're learning it as you go along. It's evolving. It's changing all the time. So I just want to be someone who can help move the change along, to evolve, to push thinking beyond Glassdoor ratings, to push thinking beyond how do I post that tweet on a Thursday at 2 o'clock, to really bring strategic and philosophical and political thought to an idea as complicated as employer brand. And that's really what it's about. Inside all that, sometimes it's about podcasts, sometimes it's about an article, sometimes it's about a webinar, sometimes it's just about stuff. So if you are interested in employer brand and are fascinated half as much as I am, just go to employerbrand.news, sign up. It's free. It goes out every morning, every Monday morning. Um, it's, yeah, just do and that. It's great. It yeah. is great. Oh, thanks. It really is. Thank you. Thanks. And, and, and it's really, it's, it's about flying that flag about saying, let's all change it. Yeah. Do you know, um, I tell you, I'm thinking when you've got your next book out, can we be on the list? Absolutely. have you on another episode because yeah. metrics is one of those topics that Serge and I have tackled a number of times. Um, mm. I'm, I'm a little bit of a data junkie uh, myself. So I, I will be signing up for as soon as the book's released. So I'll cool. keep my ear to the ground on that. Or when just- copy sold, James, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll buy the first copy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. And so, so we can find you just about on, on those places. Oh, yeah. And what's your podcast? Where can we find your podcast? It, this is a bit of a laundry list. The podcast is called the talent cast. I'm on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. At, uh, the, the handle is the war for talent. Um, okay. If you go, if you want to read all my articles, just go to saltlab.com unrelated to anything else I do. It's just like, it's, it's stuff. And it, like okay. I said, the, the newsletter is like the hub for, Oh, by the way, here's the new thing. Oh, by the way, here's yeah. something you should listen to okay. trying to tie it together with what other people are saying. who are also smart. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I, I want to thank you so much for, oh, no, it's been a blast. Um, oh, I tell you, I feel like there's nothing better than having a good laugh. So thank you so much. And what you, what, and the quality of what you have to say and you're entertaining. So I want to thank you. Triple threat, triple threat. <laughs> you are. And not drunk at all. Oh, and thank yeah, you yeah. so much for the book. It was, it's absolutely fantastic. And so, and I'm going to be buying copies and handing them out to, uh, to all my friends here in Calgary because that's probably the biggest challenge is figuring out how to do this, right? Yeah. And I want to be part of it too, because I'm like you. I absolutely see this um, fascinating, absolutely fascinating um, uh, profession evolving. So yeah. thank you so much for your time today. Oh, um, to do it. And we hope to have you back again, in, certainly in the fall when your next book is released. You can count on it, and that is a threat. <laughs> You're coming back. Coming back. Awesome. Have a Thank great you, day. We'll see you again. Thanks. Bye. Bye. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, 
your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.